This morning, I uh, want to share with you, uh, along the lines of another psalm, there are 150 psalms in the Bible. I don't know if you have a favorite psalm or not. Some people would maybe pick Psalm 100 or Psalm 19. Maybe there's one you like and, and you're not even sure which one it is. But the number one psalm of all time, people's most favorite psalm, if you were to take a poll of people, is what do you think? Psalm 23. I heard it from a few of you. So I was, why do you think that is? Why do you think it is that people find Psalm 23 to be a favorite of theirs? Maybe it's because it's somewhat poetic. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. It's, it's actually a pretty easy psalm to memorize. How many of you have memorized Psalm 23 before? Okay, maybe half the people here have memorized it. It's not too bad to memorize this psalm. Maybe for some of you, I don't know how many of you would connect this with someone that you love, maybe a, a grandmother or a mother. How many would connect this with, with someone that died? Okay, quite a few people. For a lot of people, this is a psalm that was maybe read at a funeral or, or, or <clears throat> at, at such a, a, a place as that. A gal shared with me this morning, their, their mother was dying, and she pulled the Bible off the shelf, opened it, she read Psalm 23, and closed it and said, that's all I need. And she died. <clears throat> maybe you had a memory connected with a loved one, a memorial service. Or maybe it's because people just like, they like the thought that somebody's looking out for them. That we actually have a shepherd. Now, I think we like the sound of that, that the Lord is my shepherd. The only, the only thing you have to realize when you say that is that means they're sheep. That's us, okay? I came across a picture this week. It was from some country there. There's a couple guys are out. And uh, <clears throat> so evidently this uh, sheep had fallen off there into the water. And so there's the picture. That's you. Not, not the guy rescuing the sheep. No, you're the sheep. Remember? If there's a shepherd, there's sheep. I look at that and I'm going, I'd rather be a wild stallion or a cougar or even a dog. Uh, I, there's something about sheep that I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't want to identify with a sheep. I grew up around sheep. My grandfather had a farm. He had about 60, had a, or a flock of about 60 uh, when we were in Rosa, we had some sheep for one summer. I, I got tired of mowing the backyard. So <clears throat> if, if you ever think it's less work to have sheep than mowing the grass, not a good idea, trust me. <laughs> sheep are, I, I thought of the different words that would describe them. Um, sheep are, I hate to say it, they're dumb. If, you, if you're around sheep very long, you will you will come to the conclusion that they just, they don't have much common sense. They'll do the stupidest things. So, they're dumb. They're, uh, they're stubborn. My grandfather had uh, one of the sheep, 
It was always getting out to the fence. So finally, and this was what they would do. He took about a three-foot two-by-four, strapped it around his neck. Have you ever tried to get through a barbed wire fence with a two-by-four around your neck? Probably not, but you can imagine what that would be like. Stubborn. For uh, one Christmas, my father took a baseball bat, sawed it in half, shellacked it, took the wood, wood burner and said, Buck Buster, guaranteed to break any buck. That was for one of the sheep in my grandfather's herd. Okay? Sheep are incredibly stubborn. They're also very helpless. If a sheep lays down on the ground and there's just a little bit of a, a depression... That sheep, if he's laying there, he will roll over, and if he ends up on his back in a little depression, he cannot get up. So just envision this sheep laying with its feet up in the air, and it, it can't move unless the shepherd comes along. They're very defenseless. If you think about it, they have no, you know, the sheep we're talking about here, they have no horns. Uh, you can imagine a sheep kicking something. They don't, they don't kick. They don't have any venom. They're not very fast. They can't run very far, very long. They just have no way to defend themselves. A couple of dogs can take out 40, 50 sheep in one night. And lastly, they are restless. Sheep have to be free of fear. They have to be free of friction with other sheep. They have to be free of pests. And they have to be free of hunger in order for them to be at rest. That sheep, as much as we don't like to admit it, that's us. We have a shepherd. We get to play here the analogy of the sheep. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're just going to walk through this psalm. And I, I trust that it will be helpful to you. And I hope it will be encouraging to you. So the first line, if you have a Bible, you can follow along. Maybe you know it in your head. It'll be up on the wall. We're just going to walk through the whole psalm one line at a time. So here's the first one. The Lord is my shepherd, and the word I'd like you to focus on is my. My. I'm not interested here that you know that there is a shepherd or that there is the shepherd or that there's his shepherd or her shepherd. The question is, do you know, can you say, the Lord is my shepherd? Sometimes we think about things in, in the Christian faith, like for the person over there or somebody else, but we don't really bring it home to ourselves. So this morning, I want you to, my, I'll tell you my bottom line goal this morning is that when you walk out of here and when you walk into this week, you could say, the Lord is my, my shepherd. David knew all about shepherds. He was, uh, we know more about David than any person in the Bible. There are about 2,000 people mentioned in the Bible. There's more written about some than less. For some, it's just their name. For others, there's description. But more than anybody, more about Moses, more about the Apostle Paul. We know more about David than we know about anybody in the Bible. And so we know what he was doing as a little kid. When he found out he was going to be the next king, he was out, what? He was a shepherd. David knew all about shepherding, and he knew all about sheep. And so he writes that from this perspective. And he's, you know, after, after living out that role, he looks at his relationship with, with God, and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. The next line, therefore, 
I shall not want. I shall not want. So let me ask you a question this morning. Be honest now. Do you have everything you want this morning? If I were to ask you the question, do you have everything that you want this morning? How would you answer that question? Most of us, if we were honest, would say probably not. Some things I want that I don't have, uh, that would be true of me. There's things that I, I want that I don't necessarily have. So here's what I want you to think about. So if the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want, that must mean something different than getting whatever we want. Here's a better translation. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. The Lord is my shepherd, that would be a more literal translation. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. In other words, I won't lack anything that I need. So who decides what you need? If you have a bunch of sheep and you have a shepherd, who decides what the sheep need? Do the sheep decide or does the shepherd decide? I, I think we know the answer to that. And so maybe what I think I need is, maybe it's not what I actually need. Maybe the shepherd knows what I need. I mean, what, what would happen if we could live in, in that kind of mindset? What would our lives be like? You know, what I really want in life, what I really want more than anything else in life is what I have. It's what the shepherd gives me. Little girl was in Sunday school class. She said, I can quote the first verse of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He's all I want. That's a pretty good translation. That's a pretty good formula for life. The Lord's my shepherd. He's all that I want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I, I, the word there that catches my attention is the word makes. That's, that's the action verb there in that sentence. He makes me lie down. He makes me. Does the Lord ever have to make you do something? If you're a mom, you know what this is all about. Remember back to those days, you got preschool kids. 8.30 at night. Does any mom here ever have to make their kids go to bed? Okay, you got all these tricks, right? Your life has been thinking up ways that you can make your children go to bed at night. Okay, I'll read you two stories if you get your pajamas on in three minutes or less, right? Or you know what? I heard this one. You get M&Ms tomorrow if you go to bed tonight. We have to make our children lie down. And guess what? What do they need at that point? They're, 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 starting, to, you know, they're starting to just go off the wall. And you know, like a ch if you're a guy, they're like a chainsaw right before it runs out of gas. Just revs up. The more tired they get, the more they need rest, the less they want it. Sometimes our shepherd has to make us do the things that we need. It says our, our shepherd makes us lie down in green pastures. Green pastures. So what do you envision when you see that? I want to show you this morning. It'll take about three minutes here, but I want to show you what 
somebody who heard this psalm might envision when they heard Jesus say that. Watch the following clip. As part of a shepherd lesson, I did want to look at one thing in the wilderness that will maybe surprise you a bit. Believe it or not, this is called wilderness, Midbar, but it's also called green pastures. Now, when you take a Westerner here the first time and you look at this, you find people say, well, I don't know that I can go there because the Psalm 23, the Lord leads me into green pastures, has been pictured as belly deep alfalfa. Well, you haven't seen any belly deep alfalfa. And from biblical time to today, it's rare to see a flock in the farm country. There isn't a lot of farm country in this culture. And so farmers kept the shepherds out as much as they could. Maybe they would come in a little bit after the harvest to glean what was left, but you don't want sheep where you can farm. This is the land of the shepherd. Right on the hillside across from us, you can see those grazing trails cut there by sheep maybe as long ago as Abraham's time. They're spaced so that an animal on one path and an animal on another can reach right to the middle between them. That determines the distance so you can graze an entire hillside. And the shepherds lead their sheep across that hillside slowly grazing what's there. Now you look at it from here and you say, what's there? In fact, I remember my first impression. I woke up one morning, I was sleeping out in the wilderness, and I remember waking up watching a flock of sheep on a hillside like this, and my, re my feeling was, what are those rock-eating sheep? I mean, what do they eat? How can you call this green pastures? Well, the answer is, there's a small amount of moisture present here. They get a little bit of rain every year, not much, but a little. Second, there is humidity in the air, especially in the evening breeze, like right now, you can feel it. Coming from the west off the Mediterranean, there's moisture in the air. That moisture, combination of the rain and the humidity, condenses or drips along the edge of these rocks here. And if you notice, right around the rocks, almost always next to the rocks, you get little tufts of green. Get one a moment. That's what we refer to as the green pastures. So the shepherd looks for a hillside. That's exactly what she was doing. Look at that flock across from us there, just stunning. Those two shepherd girls have found a hillside that either was exposed to the wind or had that small amount of rain. And they move that flock across the hillside and it's one mouthful here, walk a step or two, another mouthful, another mouthful, another mouthful. Now that changes the green pasture image a little bit, besides the picture changing radically. Green pastures are not everything you need for the rest of your life. If you make that belly deep alfalfa, then what God is saying, if you follow me, I'm gonna plunk you down and you'll never have to move an inch the rest of your life. Just reach out and grab it. Tell me that your life with God has been like that. Worry, said one rabbi, is dealing with tomorrow's problems on today's pasture. In the desert, you learn, the shepherd will get you what you need for right now. 10 minutes from now, you trust the shepherd. Just enough. 
Okay, just enough. <clears throat> I remember one day on my grandfather's farm, a sheep went through the fence into the alfalfa field next door, ate till he couldn't eat anymore, came back, when you eat grass, fresh green alfalfa, the gas gives off in your stomach. I still remember my father taking his jackknife out and plunging it right through the stomach of that bloated lamb laying on the ground in order to save its life. You know, we live, one of the biggest challenges to our faith in this country is we, we live in alfalfa fields. We, we have a hard time knowing what it means to, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Most of us got enough to live for the next three months on what's in our freezer, right? And so we see here, he makes us lie down in green pastures. Those pastures may just be enough, just enough for today. He leaves us beside still waters. Sheep couldn't drink from a fast-flowing stream. They, they needed still, quiet waters. This, this is all image of that hunger and thirst. And you know what? Often, often we become restless and we become hungry because we are, we are moving so fast. And when we, when we come beside those still waters, those quiet waters, the Lord begins to quench that thirst within us. Sometimes the Lord takes us to those places of still waters that our, our thirst might be quenched. Then it says, He restores my soul. He restored my soul. What is the shepherd interested in? He's interested in your soul. We see here that, you know, Jesus said, what does it gain a man if he, if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? And so, we have a culture that is, you know, is... is interested in gaining the will. I mean, everybody's, how many people have been thinking about almost, almost $1.6 billion lottery? Millions of people have just every morning, every night, wondering, is it going to be my ticket? Who is it going to be? So now somebody won it. Now they got life made, right? 800, and I think 878 million <clears throat> immediate payout. Of course, the government will take a quarter million of that. Still allows, they said if you're, the average age winner on the lottery today is in the mid-30s. Uh, the, uh, that's about $60,000 a day for the rest of your life. You have to figure out how to spend. One out of three who win the lottery will file bankruptcy within 10 years. The shepherd's not interested in you, probably interested in giving you the winning ticket. The shepherd is interested in your soul. He's interested in restoring our soul. You know, at the end of one of those really hard weeks, at the end uh, when you're discouraged and you're tired and, and maybe things have been said that have been hurtful and you're just broken down, the shepherd wants to restore your soul. That's what the shepherd is interested in doing. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. David said in Psalm 119, I run in the paths of your commands. So there are these paths of righteousness, and when we, when we run and walk down these paths, we become healthy sheep. Now sometimes that may not mean that physically you are a picture of health, but it means your soul 
uh, who you are at your core becomes healthy and it becomes stronger. And so the shepherd is interested in leading us in paths of righteousness. So there's a hill. The sheep think there's something good on the other side of the hill. The shepherd's already scouted it out. There's nothing there that's good. But the stubborn sheep will fight the shepherd and, and try it anyway. The good shepherd will lead his sheep and there will be a flourishing of their soul. And it says, for his name's sake, people will look at the sheep and you know what they'll say? They Wow, those sheep, they must have a good shepherd. He leads us in the right paths, not only for our blessing, but also for his name's sake, for the honor of his name. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, I realize this verse has been used a lot to apply to funerals and the time of death. But, but I'm here to tell you, does it apply to death? Yeah, it does, but it applies to much more than that. I was reading a, a Jewish rabbi teacher was talking about this verse. He said, literally, probably what was in mind here was those times when David was fleeing from Saul, and Saul's men were out looking for him, and he would find some dark back uh, valley where he could sneak through behind those that were seeking for him. Even though we walk through the, probably the, the best interpretation is, even though we walk through the dark places, the dark places, we, we need not fear evil. This, this psalm isn't about death. This psalm is about living life. It's about how you're living and I'm living my life today. And even though we walk through these dark places, it says we will fear no evil. And, and why is it? Why is it that we fear no evil? Well, the next line, for you are with me. For you are with me. There's a boy who said he knew the 23rd Psalm. <clears throat> he didn't spend enough time, so when he uh, came next week to say it, this is what he said, the Lord is my shepherd. That's all I need to know. And maybe he didn't quite realize what he was saying, but if you know who's with you, if you know who's with you, then maybe that's all you need to know. Maybe there's a lot of things that you'd like to know that you don't need to know if you just know who is with you. Your rod and your staff, they come from me. By the way, just, just to back up to that point, remember, uh, remember Abraham when he was going to a place he didn't know? God said, Abraham, I will go with you. Moses, when he was you know, called to march into the most powerful man on the face of the earth, Pharaoh, what did the Lord say? I'll be with you. When Joshua was going to take the land, what did the Lord say to him? Hey, I will be with you. We need not fear because thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The rod, those are actually probably two different things. Uh, if you look at pictures of, of shepherds from that, uh, that we see, you'll, you'll see an example of a rod. Uh, actually, a rod's a thing about this long, and it's kind of like a stick that has kind of a, 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 almost like a bulb on the end. It looks like an elongated light bulb. And shepherds were really good at chucking these things at 
things that were coming after the sheep or things they needed to chase away. And so the rod was used as something to protect the sheep, to drive away predators. It was also used sometimes to discipline unruly sheep. And then the staff was used to, to draw, to guide the sheep, to, to draw them in. Sometimes if a sheep had fallen down, it was used to help lift up. So you can see all the imagery here of what a shepherd does for the sheep. Shepherd wants to comfort the sheep. Even in times of discipline, he still wants that sheep ultimately to be comfortable. So when you have someone or something or some thought driving you that's full of condemnation and is full of, of just putting you down, remember, that's not the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus talked about wolves that dress up in shepherd's clothing. The shepherd is here to comfort and to guide through, through the rod and the staff. Now we come down in, in the text to the last two verses. And there are a couple different thoughts about this. I was reading through, I've read through a number of years ago, Philip Keller's book on the 23rd Psalm. And what he does is he takes this idea of the shepherd and he pushes the analogy all the way through the psalm. So he would interpret, thou preparest a table, he talks about how the word table there can represent the, a mesa, kind of a flat area where a shepherd could bring his sheep and it was protection from, from enemies. Uh, you anoint my head with oil. He talked about how they would, un, they would put oil on the head of the sheep and it would keep away the insects and the different things that would bother it. And so he kind of pushes that out here with the shepherd metaphor. I, I tend, after looking at that and, and just looking at it, I, I want to share with you, uh, you know, another metaphor, and you can choose whichever one you like. I, I do think this one probably fix, is a little more accurate with the text, what it's saying. And so when he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, what's going on there? Well, in Eastern culture, hospitality was incredibly important. And a good host, a good host could be life-saving for someone. You know, there weren't Motel 6 and, and Days Inn and Hamptons Inns all over in Eastern times. You probably don't read about that anywhere. We know there were some inns where people stayed in the New Testament. But by and large, they were few and far between. And so as people traveled through, uh, hospitality was very important. And so in, in Eastern culture, when uh, a host opened their home up to someone and prepared a meal, if there were enemies, it was inappropriate. It was inappropriate if a host had invited somebody in to attack or to, to barge in or to interrupt that time when the host was ministering to that person. Now the next morning when they walked out of the house, they were fair game, but... If you walked into someone's home and they prepared a table before you, the enemies, whoever they were, according to the custom of the time, had to retreat and step back. If you were an important host, the more important the host, 
the more uh, absolute security you knew that was there as long as you were in the host's house. So what might we have here? We see this being true. And by the way, if you want to, you know, if you read Genesis 18, where Abraham, these two guys came to Abraham, and we can't for the life of us figure out why he sent his daughters out and invited these two men in so that they weren't harmed. That was part of the picture, that he had a responsibility to protect these men in his house. And once they were in his house, they were not fair game. They were in a place of safety. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. We see here this picture of a place of safety. And not only that, you anoint my head with oil. This was a sign of, you know, if someone came in and you anointed them with oil, that was a sign of great honor. And so, not only do you invite me in and prepare me a meal, saving me from my enemies, but you anoint my head with oil and my cup is overflowing. You're giving me more than I need here. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I read of a woman who was, she had some mental, some mental problems, struggling mentally, and, and she had this thought that there were there were two men that were following her everywhere she went. She went into her pastor and she said, I just, just, I have this sense that there are two men following me wherever I go. The pastor tried to console her, tried to tell her that probably wasn't the case, that she was maybe just imagining that, but she continued in this state of panic. And one day he was reading tw- the 23rd Psalm and the Lord just spoke to him and he called up the woman. He said, I want you to come in. And the woman came in and he said, you know what? The Lord showed me who those two men were. Actually, they're found in Psalm 23. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. They are goodness and mercy. That's who's following you. And he never had a problem. She didn't have a problem anymore. You know, you always wonder what's coming up from behind you. With the good shepherd, it's goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And, and notice, in the morning, when the host has, has prepared a meal and, and preserved us from our enemies and honored us and anointed our head and given us more than we need, notice in the morning he doesn't say, well, guys, there's the road. No, he says, I shall dwell in this house of the Lord forever. This protection, this anointing, this... Uh, This overflowing of abundance is something that you get to enjoy in the house forever and ever. So we come to the end. What's the application this morning? Here's what I'd like to say. I want you to go back to that very first line. The Lord is my shepherd. That's a thought I'd, I want to encourage you to take out of here. And, and that's a thought I want to encourage you to take into this week. But before I leave, I want you to understand there's something interesting about that verse. The Lord is my shepherd. So who's the Lord? Who is that? 
Notice, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The next word is the name for God, Y-H-V-H. They would, uh, that was the name the Jews had for God. It was so holy that they, they couldn't say it, and you can't say it because there's no vowels in it. But it was Yahweh. That was the name. And it was, they, they wrote that out as Jehovah or El. This is God. This is not Yeshua. The word here is not Yeshua. Now, we know Jesus was our shepherd, right? But this isn't Yeshua. This is the Lord. The Lord is your shepherd. And who is the Lord? There are lots of descriptive names for this Lord. So just walk through them with me. Jehovah Ra. It means the Lord is our shepherd. That's one of the words for the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord is our provider. Who that Lord is? He is our provider. I shall not want. Jehovah Shalom. You've probably heard that word before. Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is our peace. He makes me lie down in, in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Jehovah Rophe. The Lord is our healer. He restores my soul. Jehovah Tsukenu, the Lord is our righteousness. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is present. Even though I walk through the valley, the shadow of death, thou art with me. Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Ezer, the Lord is my help. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Jehovah Ezer. Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord is my protector. You prepare a table in the presence of mine enemies. Jehovah Mana, the Lord is my portion. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And lastly, Jehovah Chilek, the Lord is my inheritance. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's your shepherd. That's your shepherd. All of those things, all of those names, all of those qualities, that is the shepherd that you wake up with every morning. That is the shepherd that you go to bed with every night. If the Lord is your shepherd, really salvation is an invitation. It's, it's an acknowledgement that we're sheep and we need a shepherd and, and inviting that shepherd to become the shepherd of our life. There was a <clears throat> Shakespearean storyteller a number of years ago, and uh, he was a professional. He could, he could, he could quote Shakespeare and, and all kinds of uh, different parts of those plays before audiences, and he had a tradition that what he did was at the end of every performance, in a very uh, dramatic way, <clears throat> he, would, he would share the 23rd Psalm. And uh, nobody did it better than he did. And when he was done, 
Every time he was done, the crowd would stand and there'd be a, a standing ovation. Standing ovation. One night, as he was preparing to uh, introduce his final, uh, just his final act for the night, which was a psalm, a young man stood up and said, do you think I could do it tonight? Which kind of took the guy back, and for some reason he said, okay, uh, come on up. The guy came up, young guy, quoted Psalm 23. And when he got done, there wasn't, a, there wasn't an applause. Uh, in fact, there wasn't a sound. The only sound you could hear was the sound of weeping. And the crowd was obviously extremely moved. And this playwright's going, you know, I know this guy didn't do it as good as I can do it. So he, he called the guy back and he said, you know, I've done this for years. He said, I've never gotten a response like that. He said, what, what's your secret? The guy said, well, he said, I don't know, but I said, I think it might be this. He said, you know the psalm, but I know the shepherd. You know the psalm, but I know the shepherd. You know, this week, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to, to just think about the fact that, you know, if, if the Lord is your shepherd, I want you to just think about that. I want you to think about who is, is walking with you for, who is shepherding you? You know, and what, I don't know what you're going through right now in your life, but, you know, I just, I can't help but think if you will understand and realize that the God of this universe is, is your shepherd. Therefore, you, you do not need to be in want. That he knows what you need. And, and when you wake up in the morning to just have that thought in your mind, you know what, the Lord is my shepherd today. When you go to bed at night to think, you know, the last thing is, you know what, the Lord is my shepherd. That could be a transforming thought for, I think, any of us here. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for this psalm, we've, we've probably heard this psalm many times. And it seems like it's the, sometimes it's not the new things we learn, but it's the old things we learn more deeply that really change our lives. And uh, I just think of this phrase, that, that you, are our, you are our shepherd. Therefore, we will not be in want. Father, if we would just believe that, even when we don't see it, even when we don't understand it, even when it doesn't feel like it, if we would just know that you are that shepherd that will never leave us, never forsake us, Father, might we, uh, might we open up our hearts to just living in light of, of this truth today. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for all of the ways that you shepherd us. And uh, Father, might we, might we just learn more deeply what that truly means in our lives. I pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen.